Chapter Two of The Absentee by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Full of what he had heard, and impatient to obtain further information respecting the state of his father's affairs, Lord Colambre hastened home, but his father was out, and his mother was engaged with Mr. Soho, directing, or rather being directed, how her apartments should be fitted up for her gala. As Lord Colambre entered the room, he saw his mother, Miss Nugent, and Mr. Soho, standing at a large table which was covered with rolls of paper, patterns, and drawings of furniture. Mr. Soho was speaking in a conceited dictatorial tone, asserting that there was no colour in nature for that room equal to the belly of a fawn, which belly of a fawn he so pronounced that lady clonbrony understood it to be la belle uniforme and under this mistake repeated and assented to the assertion till it was set to rights with condescending superiority by the upholsterer this first architectural upholsterer of the age as he styled himself and was universally admitted to be by all the world of fashion then with full powers given to him spoke en maitre the whole face of things must be changed there must be new hangings new draperies new cornices new candelabras new everything the upholsterer's eye in a fine frenzy rolling glances from ceiling to floor from floor to ceiling and as imagination bodies forth the form of things unknown the upholsterer's pencil turns to shape and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name of the value of a name no one could be more sensible than mr soho your ladyship sees this is merely a scratch of my pencil your ladyship's sensible just to give you an idea of the shape the form of the thing you fill up your angles here with enconnières round your walls with the turkish tent drapery a fancy of my own in apricot cloth or crimson velvet suppose or en flute in crimson satin draperies fanned and enriched with gold fringes ensuite intermediate spaces apollo's heads with gold rays and here ma'am you place four chancelières with chimeras at the corners covered with blue silk and silver fringe elegantly fanciful with my statira canopy here light blue silk draperies aerial tint with silver balls and for seats here the seraglio ottomans superfine scarlet your paws griffin golden and golden tripods here with antique cranes and oriental alabaster tables here and there quite appropriate your ladyship feels and let me reflect for the next apartment it strikes me as your ladyship don't value expense the alhambra hangings my own thought entirely now before i unroll them lady clonbrony i must beg you'll not mention that i've shown them i give you my sacred honour not a soul has set eye upon the alhambra hangings except mrs dareville who stole a peep i refused absolutely refused the duchess of torcaster but i can't refuse your ladyship so see ma'am unrolling them scaliola porphyry columns supporting the grand dome 
entablature silvered and decorated with imitative bronze ornaments under the entablature a valance in pelmets of puffed scarlet silk would have an unparalleled grand effect seen through the arches with the trebizond trellis paper would make a tout ensemble novel beyond example on that trebizond trellis paper i confess ladies i do pique myself then for the little room i recommend turning it temporarily into a chinese pagoda with this chinese pagoda paper with the porcelain border and josses and jars and beakers to match and i can venture to promise one vase of preeminent size and beauty oh indubitably if your ladyship prefers it you can have the egyptian hieroglyphic paper with the ibis border to match the only objection is one sees it everywhere quite antediluvian gone to the hotels even but to be sure if your ladyship has a fancy at all events i humbly recommend what her grace of torcaster longs to patronize my moon curtains with candlelight draperies a demi-saison elegance this i hit off yesterday and true your ladyship's quite correct out of the common completely and of course you'd have the sphinx candelabras and the phoenix argans oh nothing else lights now ma'am expense expense of the whole impossible to calculate here on the spot but nothing at all worth your ladyship's consideration at another moment lord colambre might have been amused with all this rhodomontade and with the airs and voluble conceit of the orator but after what he had heard at mr mordecai's this whole scene struck him more with melancholy than with mirth he was alarmed by the prospect of new and unbounded expense provoked almost past enduring by the jargon and impertinence of this upholsterer mortified and vexed to the heart to see his mother the dupe the sport of such a coxcomb prince of puppies insufferable my own mother lord colambre repeated to himself as he walked hastily up and down the room colambre won't you let us have your judgment your taste said his mother excuse me ma'am i have no taste no judgment in these things he sometimes paused and looked at mr soho with a strong inclination to but knowing that he should say too much if he said anything he was silent never dared to approach the council-table but continued walking up and down the room till he heard a voice which at once arrested his attention and soothed his ire he approached the table instantly and listened whilst grace nugent said everything he wished to have said and with all the propriety and delicacy with which he thought he could not have spoken he leaned on the table and fixed his eyes upon her years ago he had seen his cousin last night he had thought her handsome pleasing graceful but now he saw a new person or he saw her in a new light he marked the superior intelligence the animation the eloquence of her countenance its variety whilst alternately with arch raillery or grave humour she played off mr soho and made him magnify the ridicule till it was apparent even to lady clonbrony 
he observed the anxiety lest his mother should expose her own foibles he was touched by the respectful earnest kindness the soft tones of persuasion with which she addressed his mother the care not to presume upon her own influence the good sense the taste she showed yet not displaying her superiority the address temper and patience with which she at last accomplished her purpose and prevented lady clonbrony from doing anything preposterously absurd or exorbitantly extravagant lord colambre was actually sorry when the business was ended when mr soho departed for grace nugent was then silent and it was necessary to remove his eyes from that countenance on which he had gazed unobserved beautiful and graceful yet so unconscious was she of her charms that the eye of admiration could rest upon her without her perceiving it she seemed so intent upon others as totally to forget herself the whole train of lord colambre's thoughts was so completely deranged that although he was sensible there was something of importance he had to say to his mother yet when mr soho's departure left him opportunity to speak he stood silent unable to recollect anything but grace nugent when grace nugent left the room after some minutes silence and some effort lord colambre said to his mother pray madam do you know anything of sir terence O'Fay? i said lady clonbrony drawing up her head proudly i know he is a person i cannot endure he is no friend of mine i can assure you nor any such sort of person i thought it was impossible cried colambre with exultation i only wish your father colambre could say as much added lady clonbrony lord colambre's countenance fell again and again he was silent for some time does my father dine at home ma'am i suppose not he seldom dines at home perhaps ma'am my father may have some cause to be uneasy about about said lady clonbrony in a tone and with a look of curiosity which convinced her son that she knew nothing of his debts or distresses if he had any about what repeated her ladyship here was no receding and lord colambre never had recourse to artifice about his affairs i was going to say madam but since you know nothing of any difficulties or embarrassments i am persuaded that none exist nay i can't tell you that colambre there are difficulties for ready money i confess when i ask for it which surprise me often i know nothing of affairs ladies of a certain rank seldom do you know but considering your father's estate and the fortune i brought him added her ladyship proudly i can't conceive it at all grace nugent indeed often talks to me of embarrassments and economy but that poor thing is very natural for her because her fortune is not particularly large and she has left it all or almost all in her uncle and guardian's hands i know she's often distressed for odd money to lend me and that makes her anxious is not miss nugent very much admired ma'am in london of course in the company she is in you know she has every advantage 
and she has a natural family air of fashion not but what she could have got on much better if when she first appeared in london she had taken my advice and wrote herself on her cards miss de nogent which would have taken off the prejudice against the irisism of nugent you know and there is a count de nogent i did not know there was any such prejudice ma'am there may be among a certain set but i should think not among well-informed well-bred people i beg your pardon colambre surely i that was born in england an hanglish woman bon must be well informed on this pint anyway lord colambre was respectfully silent mother resumed he i wonder that miss nugent is not married that is her own fault entirely she has refused very good offers establishments that i own i think as lady langdale says i was to blame to allow her to let pass but young ladies till they are twenty always think they can do better mr martingale of martingale proposed for her but she objected to him on account of his being on the turf and mr st albans seven thousand pounds a year because i really forget what i believe only because she did not like him and something about principles now there is colonel heathcock one of the most fashionable young men you see always with the duchess of torcaster and that set heathcock takes a vast deal of notice of her for him and yet i'm persuaded she would not have him to-morrow if he came to the pint and for no reason really now that she can give me but because she says he's a coxcomb grace has a tincture of irish pride but for my part i rejoice that she is so difficult for i don't know what i should do without her miss nugent is indeed very much attached to you mother i am convinced said lord colambre beginning his sentence with great enthusiasm and ending it with great sobriety indeed then she's a sweet girl and i am very partial to her there's the truth cried lady clonbrony in an undisguised irish accent and with her natural warm manner but a moment afterwards her features and whole form resumed their constrained stillness and stiffness and in her english accent she continued before you put my ideas out of my head colambre i had something to say to you oh i know what it was we were talking of embarrassments and i wished to do your father the justice to mention to you that he has been uncommon liberal to me about the scala and has really given me carte blanche and i've a notion indeed i know that it is you colambre i am to thank for this me ma'am yes did not your father give you any hint no ma'am i have seen my father but for half an hour since i came to town and in that time he said nothing to me of his affairs but what i allude to is more your affair he did not speak to me of any affairs ma'am he spoke only of my horses then i suppose my lord leaves it to me to open the matter to you i have the pleasure to tell you that we have in view for you and i think i may say with more than the approbation of all her family an alliance oh my dear mother you cannot be serious 
cried lord colambre you know i am not of years of discretion yet i shall not think of marrying these ten years at least why not nay my dear colambre don't go i beg i am serious i assure you and to convince you of it i shall tell you candidly at once all your father told me that now you've done with cambridge and are come to london he agrees with me in wishing that you should make the figure you ought to make colambre as sole heir apparent to the clonbrony estate and all that sort of thing but on the other hand living in london and making you the handsome allowance you ought to have are both together more than your father can afford without inconvenience he tells me i assure you mother i shall be content no no you must not be content child and you must hear me you must live in a becoming style and make a proper appearance i could not present you to my friends here nor be happy if you did not colambre now the way is clear before you you have birth and title here is fortune ready-made you will have a noble estate of your own when old quinn dies and you will not be any encumbrance or inconvenience to your father or anybody marrying an heiress accomplishes all this at once and the young lady is everything we could wish besides you will meet again at the gala indeed between ourselves she is the grand object of the gala all her friends will come en masse and one should wish that they should see things in proper style you have seen the young lady in question colambre miss broadhurst don't you recollect the young lady i introduced you to last night after the opera the little plain girl covered with diamonds who was standing beside miss nugent in diamonds yes but you won't think her plain when you see more of her that wears off i thought her plain at first i hope i hope said lord colambre that you will not take it unkindly of me my dear mother if i tell you at once that i have no thoughts of marrying at present and that i never will marry for money marrying an heiress is not even a new way of paying old debts at all events it is one to which no distress could persuade me to have recourse and as i must if i outlive old mr quinn have an independent fortune there is no occasion to purchase one by marriage there is no distress that i know of in the case cried lady clonbrony where is your imagination running colambre but merely for your establishment your independence establishment i want none independence i do desire and will preserve assure my father my dear mother that i will not be an expense to him i will live within the allowance he made me at cambridge i will give up half of it i will do anything for his convenience but marry for money that i cannot do then colambre you are very disobliging said lady clonbrony with an expression of disappointment and displeasure for your father says if you don't marry miss broadhurst we can't live in london another winter this said which had she been at the moment mistress of herself she would not have let out lady clonbrony abruptly quitted the room her son stood motionless saying to himself is this my mother how altered 
the next morning he seized an opportunity of speaking to his father whom he caught with difficulty just when he was going out as usual for the day lord colambre with all the respect due to his father and with that affectionate manner by which he always knew how to soften the strength of his expressions made nearly the same declarations of his resolution by which his mother had been so much surprised and offended lord clombrony seemed more embarrassed but not so much displeased when lord colambre adverted as delicately as he could to the selfishness of desiring from him the sacrifice of liberty for life to say nothing of his affections merely to enable his family to make a splendid figure in london lord clonbrony exclaimed that's all nonsense cursed nonsense that's the way we are obliged to state the thing to your mother my dear boy because i might talk her deaf before she would understand or listen to anything else but for my own share i don't care a rush if london was sunk in the salt sea little dublin for my money as sir terence o'fay says who is sir terence o'fay may i ask sir why don't you know terry ah you've been so long at cambridge i forgot and did you never see terry i have seen him sir i met him yesterday at mr mordecai's the coachmaker's mordecai's exclaimed lord clonbrony with a sudden blush which he endeavoured to hide by taking snuff he is a damned rascal that mordecai i hope you didn't believe a word he said nobody does that knows him i am glad sir that you seem to know him so well and to be upon your guard against him replied lord colambre for from what i heard of his conversation when he was not aware who i was i am convinced he would do you any injury in his power he shall never have me in his power i promise him we shall take care of that but what did he say lord colambre repeated the substance of what mordecai had said and lord clonbrony reiterated damned rascal damned rascal i'll get out of his hands i'll have no more to do with him but as he spoke he exhibited evident symptoms of uneasiness moving continually and shifting from leg to leg like a foundered horse he could not bring himself positively to deny that he had debts and difficulties but he would by no means open the state of his affairs to his son no father is called upon to do that said he to himself none but a fool would do it lord colambre perceiving his father's embarrassment withdrew his eyes respectfully refrained from all further inquiries and simply repeated the assurance he had made to his mother that he would put his family to no additional expense and that if it was necessary he would willingly give up half his allowance not at all not at all my dear boy said his father i would rather cramp myself than that you should be cramped a thousand times over but it is all my lady clonbrony's nonsense if people would but as they ought stay in their own country live on their own estates and kill their own mutton money need never be wanting for killing their own mutton lord colambre did not see the indispensable necessity but he rejoiced to hear his father assert that people should reside in their own country ay cried lord clonbrony to strengthen his assertion as he always thought it necessary to do by quoting some other person's opinion 
so sir terence o'fay always says and that's the reason your mother can't endure poor terry you don't know terry no you have only seen him but indeed to see him is to know him for he is the most off-hand good fellow in europe i don't pretend to know him yet said lord colambre i am not so presumptuous as to form my opinion at first sight oh curse your modesty interrupted lord clonbrony you mean you don't pretend to like him yet but terry will make you like him i defy you not i'll introduce you to him him to you i mean most warm-hearted generous dog upon earth convivial jovial with wit and humour enough in his own way to split you split me if he has not you need not cast down your eyes colambre what's your objection i have made none sir but if you urge me i can only say that if he has all these good qualities it is to be regretted that he does not look and speak a little more like a gentleman a gentleman he is as much a gentleman as any of your formal prigs not the exact cambridge cut maybe curse your english education twas none of my advice i suppose you mean to take after your mother in the notion that nothing can be good or genteel but what's english far from it sir i assure you i am as warm a friend to ireland as your heart could wish you will have no reason in that respect at least nor i hope in any other to curse my english education and if my gratitude and affection can avail you shall never regret the kindness and liberality with which you have i fear distressed yourself to afford me the means of becoming all that a british nobleman ought to be gad you distress me now said lord clonbrony and i didn't expect it or i wouldn't make a fool of myself this way added he ashamed of his emotion and whiffling it off you have an irish heart that i see which no education can spoil but you must like terry i'll give you time as he said to me when first he taught me to like usquiba good morning to you whilst lady clonbrony in consequence of her residence in london had become more of a fine lady lord clonbrony since he left ireland had become less of a gentleman lady clonbrony born an englishwoman disclaiming and disencumbering herself of all the irish in town had by giving splendid entertainments at an enormous expense made her way into a certain set of fashionable company but lord clonbrony who was somebody in ireland who was a great person in dublin found himself nobody in england a mere cipher in london looked down upon by the fine people with whom his lady associated and heartily weary of them he retreated from them altogether and sought entertainment and self-complacency in society beneath him indeed both in rank and education but in which he had the satisfaction of feeling himself the first person in company of these associates the first in talents and in jovial profligacy was sir terence o'fay a man of low extraction who had been knighted by an irish lord lieutenant in some convivial frolic no one could tell a good story or sing a good song better than sir terence he exaggerated his native brogue and his natural propensity to blunder 
caring little whether the company laughed at him or with him provided they laughed live and laugh laugh and live was his motto and certainly he lived on laughing as well as many better men can contrive to live on a thousand a year lord clonbrony brought sir terence home with him next day to introduce him to lord colambre and it happened that on this occasion terence appeared to peculiar disadvantage because like many other people il gatoit l'esprit qu'il avoit en voulant avoir celui qu'il n'avoit pas having been apprised that lord colambre was a fine scholar fresh from cambridge and being conscious of his own deficiencies of literature instead of trusting to his natural talents he summoned to his aid with no small effort all the scraps of learning he had acquired in early days and even brought before the company all the gods and goddesses with whom he had formed an acquaintance at school though embarrassed by this unusual encumbrance of learning he endeavoured to make all subservient to his immediate design of paying his court to lady clonbrony by forwarding the object she had most anxiously in view the match between her son and miss broadhurst and so miss nugent said he not daring with all his assurance to address himself directly to lady clonbrony and so miss nugent you are going to have great doings i'm told and a wonderful grand gala there's nothing in the wide world equal to being in a good handsome crowd no later now than the last ball at the castle that was before i left dublin miss nugent the apartments owing to the popularity of my lady lieutenant was so throng so throng that i remember very well in the doorway a lady and a very genteel woman she was too though a stranger to me saying to me sir your fingers in my ear i know it madam says i but i can't take it out till the crowd give me elbow-room but it's the gala i'm thinking of now i hear you are to have the golden venus my lady clonbrony won't you sir this freezing monosyllable notwithstanding sir terence pursued his course fluently the golden venus sure miss nugent you that are so quick can't but know i would apostrophize miss bradhurst that is but that won't be long so i hope my lord colambre have you seen much yet of that young lady no sir then i hope you won't be long so i hear great talk now of the venus of medicis and the venus of this and that with the florence venus and the sable venus and that other venus that's washing of her hair and a hundred other venuses some good some bad but be that as it will my lord trust a fool ye may when he tells ye truth the golden venus is the only one on earth that can stand or that will stand through all ages and temperatures for gold rules the court gold rules the camp and men below and heaven above heaven above take care terry do you know what you're saying interrupted lord clonbrony do i don't i replied terry deny if you please my lord that it was for a golden pippin that the three goddesses fit and that the hippomenes was about golden apples and did not hercules rob a garden for golden apples and did not the pious aeneas himself take a golden branch with him to make himself welcome to his father in hell said sir terence winking at lord colambre 
why terry you know more about books than i should have suspected said lord clonbrony nor you would not have suspected me to have such a great acquaintance among the goddesses neither would you my lord but apropos before we quit of what material think ye was that same venus's famous girdle now that made roses and lilies so quickly appear why what was it but a girdle of sterling gold i'll engage for gold is the only true thing for a young man to look after in a wife sir terence paused but no applause ensued let them talk of cupids and darts and the mother of the loves and graces minerva may sing odes and dithambrics or whatsoever her wisdomship pleases let her sing or let her say she'll never get a husband in this world or the other without she had a good thump in fortin and then she'll go off like wildfire no no terry there you're out minerva has too bad a character for learning to be a favourite with gentlemen said lord clonbrony tut don't tell me i'd get her off before you could say jack robinson and thank you too if she had fifty thousand down or a thousand a year in land would you have a man so damned nice as to balk when house and land is a-goin 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 because of the encumbrance of a little learnin i never heard that miss broadhurst was anything of a learned lady miss broadhurst said grace nugent how did you get round to miss broadhurst oh by the way of tipperary said lord colambre i beg your pardon my lord it was apropos to a good fortune which i hope will not be out of your way even if you went by tipperary she has besides one hundred thousand pounds in the funds a clear landed property of ten thousand pounds per annum well some people talk of morality and some of religion but give me a little snug property but my lord i have a little business to transact this morning and must not be idling and indulging myself here so bowing to the ladies he departed really i am glad that man is gone said lady clonbrony what a relief to one's ears i am sure i wonder my lord how you can bear to carry that strange creature always about with you so vulgar as he is he diverts me said lord clonbrony while many of your correct mannered fine ladies or gentlemen put me to sleep what signifies what accent people speak in that have nothing to say hey clambre lord clambre from respect to his father did not express his opinion but his aversion to sir terence o'fay was stronger even than his mother's though lady clonbrony's detestation of him was much increased by perceiving that his coarse hints about miss broadhurst had operated against her favourite scheme the next morning at breakfast lord clonbrony talked of bringing sir terence with him that night to her gala she absolutely grew pale with horror good heavens lady langdale mrs dareville lady pocock lady chatterton lady d lady g his grace of v what would they think of him and miss broadhurst to see him going about with my lord clonbrony it could not be no her ladyship made the most solemn and desperate protestation that she would sooner give up her gala altogether tie up the knocker say she was sick rather be sick or be dead than be obliged to have such a creature as sir terence o'fay at her gala have it your own way my dear as you have everything else cried lord clonbrony taking up his hat and preparing to decamp but 
take notice if you won't receive him you need not expect me so a good morning to you my lady clonbrony you may find a worse friend in need yet than that same sir terence o'fay i trust i shall never be in need my lord replied her ladyship it would be strange indeed if i were with the fortune i brought oh that fortune of hers cried lord clonbrony stopping both his ears as he ran out of the room shall i never hear the end of that fortune when i've seen the end of it long ago during this matrimonial dialogue grace nugent and lord colambre never once looked at each other grace was very diligently trying the changes that could be made in the positions of a china mouse a cat a dog a cup and a brahmin on the mantelpiece lord colambre as diligently reading the newspaper now my dear colambre said lady clonbrony put down the paper and listen to me let me entreat you not to neglect miss broadhurst to-night as i know that the family come here chiefly on your account my dear mother i never can neglect any deserving young lady and particularly one of your guests but i shall be careful not to do more than not to neglect for i never will pretend what i do not feel but my dear colambre miss broadhurst is everything you could wish except being a beauty perhaps madam said lord colambre fixing his eyes on grace nugent you think that i can see no farther than a handsome face the unconscious grace nugent now made a warm eulogium of miss broadhurst's sense and wit and independence of character i did not know that miss broadhurst was a friend of yours miss nugent she is i assure you a friend of mine and as a proof i will not praise her at this moment i will go farther still i will promise that i never will praise her to you till you begin to praise her to me lord colambre smiled and now listened as if he wished that grace should go on speaking even of miss broadhurst that's my sweet grace cried lady clonbrony oh she knows how to manage these men not one of them can resist her lord colambre for his part did not deny the truth of this assertion grace added lady clonbrony make him promise to do as we would have him no promises are dangerous things to ask or to give said grace men and naughty children never make promises especially promises to be good without longing to break them the next minute well at least child persuade him i charge you to make my gala go off well that's the first thing we ought to think of now ring the bell and all heads and hands i put in requisition for the gala End of chapter 2